be generous, you know, be generous with your time, be generous to other people, uh, do what you can, you know, and no one's expecting it to be perfect or great or for you to be a perfect person. It's just awareness of other people and what they might be going through. And that's, I think the purpose, I think that's the purpose. Welcome to True Intention. The podcast where we dive deep into the art of healing, the journey of transformation, and the secrets to building a life that's truly beautiful. I'm your host, Tina Brown, and I believe that within each of us lies the power to heal, transform, and create a life filled with purpose and beauty. In every episode, we'll explore the stories of incredible individuals who have overcome adversity, found their true intentions, and crafted a life that's nothing short of inspiring. Whether you're seeking guidance on personal growth, self-discovery, or simply looking for a dose of inspiration, True Intention is here to light your path. Our guests will share their intimate journeys, powerful insights and practical tips to help you embark on your own transformative adventure. So join us each week as we uncover the wisdom, courage and resilience needed to turn life's challenges into opportunities for growth. Let's embark on this journey together because when we set our true intentions, the possibilities are limitless. This is True Intention. Let the transformation begin. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of True Intention. I can't believe it's launch day. I have been working on this for a long time. And just like me, it has gone through many versions and iterations over the past few months. And now it's finally time to release it out into the world. I have connected with so many beautiful souls since I started this podcasting journey and I feel truly blessed and so, so grateful. I love each conversation that I have had so far and I am bursting with excitement and so much love for the conversations I have lined up to have over the coming months. I hope that we can learn and grow together as a community every week. And thank you for being here with me on this journey. I will never be able to express in words how much it means to me. So I think we should just get into it. Today's guest is broadcaster, writer, podcaster and mental health advocate, Keith Walsh. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. We talked about the importance of healing and the impact that has as a parent, experiences with therapy, his ADHD and ASD diagnosis, the kindness of young people and the importance of normalising conversations around mental health. We also spoke about navigating your life's path and what Keith thinks purpose really means. This is a very special episode and one that I think you will gain much insight and clarity from. I hope you enjoy. Keith Walsh, you're very welcome to True Intention. How are you? I'm very good, Tina. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am great. I'm sitting here. It's a, you can't see it, but we're having a fireside chat. You know? Oh, have you got the fire going? I have got the fire going. I think it's good. I think nothing's going to fall out. I got these new fire logs a couple of weeks ago. I started buying the ones from Lidl. 
and they're really great. And like the heat is super off them, but yeah. they have a tendency. They're so big when they break, they kind of jump out of the fire. Oh, that's not, yeah. Not ideal, but no, we're looking, we're looking good. Yeah. That seemed to be a big problem in the eighties and nineties. I feel like I remember ads on the TV about terrible things happen with fires, um, like logs jumping out in the middle of the night. If you forget to put up your fire guard, you'll be dead in the morning. That's the way it was. That was oh the... yeah. It's a bit mm. like that ad as your man, you know, it's the kind of the cartoon guy and he's talking about the carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh yeah. The carbon monoxide man come down yeah. your chimney or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's very funny actually. I'm, um, I'm in a hotel room in Sligo in Strand Hill. Strand Very Hill. nice. Yeah, the Strand Hill. Um, so, yeah, it's grand. It's nice, nice hotel. I would recommend the Strand Hill Suites to all your listeners. Oh, well, very good. Yeah, very good. I did pay for the room, so I'm not. It's not a. I'm not sponsored. This podcast oh, yeah, so is we- sponsored by. <laughs> we're not sponsored tonight by the Strand Strand Hill Strand- Suites. Strand Hill Suites, County Sligo. So. There's so much I want to talk about, but where is the best place to start? At the top, says your man, isn't it? <laughs> um, Keith, I suppose you talk a lot. You've spoken out a lot about mental health, and I suppose you're seen as a, a mental health advocate. And in a country where we tend to sweep everything under the carpet, maybe talk to us a little bit about that and why, why it's important to you. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, I think even the title mental health advocate, I think that's something that, and I use it myself, you know, Um, it's like you have to try and explain to other people, you know, because I'm not a professional, I've no training in, you know, the mental health field. So if you're doing something in media, the mental health advocate thing, I suppose, comes about for them to explain what it is, why you're talking about mental health. But, and I use it, and, and, and I think it's a good way of framing it. But I, I suppose I just feel like I'm a person talking about things that, talking about people things. You know, it's, it's, um, I sometimes feel like when people hear like mental health advocate, they're like, oh, you know, he's been through, he's been through the mill now, that fella, now he's out talking about it, isn't he great? Whereas, Everyone's been through the mill, or if that's the case, everyone has mental health. Everyone has suffered. Everyone has good days, bad days. And I spoke about therapy specifically, um, talk therapy, because I was so impressed with how how well it worked for me. Um, and I was asked to give a talk. I think it was International Men's Day a few years ago. And I'd been going to therapy. And I was like, oh, I'll just talk about that. So I did. And um, it just kind of became a thing that it's not great, I think, that it's unusual for someone to say, uh, I was struggling, I went to therapy and it was brilliant, you know, whereas people talk all the time about, I don't know, educating themselves or going to the gym or starting to walk or you know it's not like no one ever sort of tilts the head and goes oh there's the guy who talks about walking god love him because for me mental health is like it's the same it's the same as it's part like there's no difference between physical health and mental health it's all it's all connected you know your your the health of your stomach is as important to your 
to how you feel in your head as how you feel in your head is to, you know, having the wherewithal and energy to fix the problems with your stomach, you know? Um, and it's all your nervous system and your nervous system um, is very important uh, in the regulating of your body and, and feeling well. Um, so I'm very happy to talk about it and it's to try and normalize it because, you know, I think everybody should feel like they can talk about it because then you're not putting it in a place. It's just, well, I, you know, I went to Sligo for the weekend um, and, oh, the week before I just had a bit of a bad week. I felt really like sad and it's been happening a lot, you know, that then you can just say it to your friend and your friend can go, oh yeah, that's pretty bad. I've had similar experiences and I actually went to this guy, Luke, he's a therapist and he's brilliant. And they'll be like, oh yeah, daddy. So, you know, we were very, we, we almost in this country, we have a, a weird love affair with doctors, you know? Um, and don't get me wrong. Doctors are great. Hospitals are great. Medicine is great. But when it comes to doctors of the head, it's a completely different story. But like people will lit literally talk about, oh, Jesus, I was in the hospital there last week again. And, you know, and I'm not saying proudly, but it's a thing you're, you're allowed to talk about and nobody thinks any differently of you and mental health should be no different you know well see the thing is right so if like if you weren't feeling well right if you had a headache for two weeks you'd be pretty much getting yourself to the doctor right and like people kind of go it seems to be as it's like oh well Mentally, I feel good maybe 50, 60 percent of the time. Like if you didn't feel well physically 50 to 60 percent of the time, you'd be quite alarmed. Right. Mm. Wouldn't you? You'd yeah. be getting yourself off to that doctor fairly quick. Yeah. So like I think we should be talking about this more. Yeah, just all the time. It should be just part of normal conversation. And I worry that I don't worry about it. I, I'm impressed by the younger generation you know my daughter and her friends how aware they are of their their, their friends each other looking out for each other if somebody isn't you know if somebody isn't doesn't seem to be themselves they'll sit down and have a chat with them and see and even to the point that it might take a couple of goals but they'll just stick with it you know if someone you know, they're in university, somebody might be struggling, missing lectures, they notice these things. And the older generation, my age and the next generation up are very, very, um, very cruel, I think, to the younger generation in the way that they talk about them and how they look at them. They kind of look down on them. And it's just, it's always the same, I suppose. Plus the change, the, the older generation think the younger generation are, you know, wasters or whatever. And we've hear, heard these terms snowflake and, mm -hmm. you know, oh, sure, the young people, they wouldn't do, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't work it. Uh, younger, younger people don't do things they don't want to do, which is absolutely right. Um, I encourage it. It doesn't mean that they don't want to work. It means they don't want to do your job because the job you're offering either doesn't pay well, is a kind of a shit job and why they don't understand how people used to do it in the past. Um, and you hear that a lot with businesses, especially like hoteliers, um, B&Bs or whatever, you know, certain areas of the country and they're looking for, we can't get the staff, you know, sure, sure they won't work, they won't do it anymore. 
And it's always like, ah, the young people don't want to work anymore. Whereas it's like, no, change your job, change the job offering, pay them more. Um, and if you can't afford to pay them more, then your business isn't viable because basically they won't take a job that's where they don't feel valued, um, where they don't, you know, if there's if, where the energy isn't good, even stuff like that. And I think that's really great because, you know, some people might say, well, then, you know, we'll have nobody working. But no, we won't. People who want to make money will change their terms of employment. Young people have boundaries. They know from a young age they don't have to kiss their grand aunt if they don't want it. Uh, they don't have to hug their stranger in the street if they don't want it. They know these things. They've been told. They know that in class, you know, it's a, not, not all teachers like it, but they can sort of ask a question and disagree. Um, so I'm hopeful for the younger generation. You know, maybe some of us have started something uh, that a younger generation can see. Uh, and I just think they're very, they're very sort of forward thinking, more open-minded, more mental health aware. Um, and just, if we went through, if we were struggling in college, we were, you know, we'd probably just keep drinking too much or, you know, pass it off. We never really spoke to anybody about it, you know? Um, and that's different now. And I really like that. I saw a really funny TikTok. It was a guy talking about going to war. And obviously he'd seen some, I don't know, let's call them boomers just to, you know, level the playing field saying that, um, you know, Gen Z's wouldn't go to war. And the guy was like, yeah, of course we wouldn't go to war. What? Why would anybody go to war? To do what? Kill people? No, thanks. And like, so funny. He was like, like guns, they're not even cool. You know, uh, like they don't even look cool. Like, what are you going to do? Like walk around with a gun in your hand going, you know, bang, bang. It, it was just so funny the way he, going to war is the most ridiculous thing. Like, and the only reason you're doing is because some owl lad wants to a bit of land or something. Like it just, yeah. they're, they're just smarter. They're more clued in. And, I, you know, I can see things changing because of them. Uh, so hopefully I'll still be alive to see the changes. They're kinder. Like uh, my eight-year-old, um, Arthur, said the other day, maybe he saw, he probably saw it on something, but it's like, you know, when stuff sticks, whatever. And he's like, when I grow up, I want to be kind. And I just thought, I don't care if you read that or you saw that on TV. It's the fact that like they, they take it in, you know what I mean? And then it's like, he's just, it's that, that him taking that in has a ripple effect. Like him saying mm. it to me is rippling on. And then me telling you and everybody else, you know, Kindness is so important. And it's like Very you important. said there about the older generation. And like our generation can be be very cruel mm. because I think there's this sense of in us that there isn't enough for everybody. You know, there isn't enough money to go around. There isn't enough love to go around. There isn't enough connection. So everything I have, I must keep it for myself. And I think that's something kind of like that's a, a pattern that was kind of ingrained in a lot of us. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's kind of a, you know, don't get me wrong, our generation and older, like there are people struggling, 
But I thought like even the Brexit thing was very telling because first generation, second generation, Italians, mm. Greeks, they were all voting for Brexit because they just they believed there wasn't enough room for any more. It was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm here now, but uh, I don't want any more coming in because because it's yeah, it's empathy. It's uh, it's all those things. They. You know, you know, I don't I feel like the whole racism thing is hopefully, you know, being diluted at least. Um, they tend not to see things in that in that way. Um, and, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about, especially for men, there is, there's always been a narrative about tough men and, you know, especially in places like Britain and France or, you know, in America where they celebrate the, the fallen, you know, the soldiers that died for their country and, like these were like young men, you know, especially in the two world wars. There was young lads, 17, 18, 19, you know, I couldn't, my son is 15. Like there was, I think world war one, there was lads going off at the age of 16 to, to, to die, you know, um, in a beautiful death, you know, defending their country. And I do understand countries who defend themselves. And I think, you know, personally, you know, I would definitely be there, but when it's just going over to, grab land grab or something you know and you're sending your best young men a generation of men to die you know that kind of thing and that, it's that narrative where older people go, go oh the good old days when men were men and you know oh you lads wouldn't fight in the war now would you because you wouldn't be able for it uh, no because it's stupid you know it's a stupid way to die uh so look i these, these are just my own thoughts probably at the moment uh yeah I, i'm i'm hoping yeah because the thing is, is that it's separation, right? When, and I'm hoping like, you know, that the people coming up can see this, that like, and I think they do, that like, we are one. And that the, it's this idea of like, that we're all separate and that somebody's better than somebody else. Like, we we all when we arrived here, there was, you know what I mean. There's there's none of that. So you arrive into the world, and you just are, mm. okay. And then you're given a name, and and then you're 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 raised, and you know you're patterned, and all the studies now. I think they they say up to the age of seven initially was when you take in everything that's around you, but now it looks more like it's maybe up to the age of eleven or twelve. So that's where. I suppose it's all learned and it's all, I suppose, ancestral and, and all that too. But that learned behavior of being separate rather than thinking that we're all of, I suppose, one consciousness. Like we all came from the same place. And why when we got here, you know what I mean? That's what like the system and society, I suppose, is kind of doing to us is making us feel that like. You're better than each other. That's why there's difference in, we, you know, we the very, very poor, the very, very rich, making you think that, you know, it's either one or the other, or you're somewhere in the middle when, mm. like I said before, you know, I think there's enough of everything for everybody. Like nobody has to be impoverished now. I don't, you know, I don't believe it. That's my opinion, but we're so separated as a society, as a, in the world. Yeah, we can't see our way to just, 
you know, trying to make everyone's life better. And it all comes back to mental health, you know, it, it, everything. Everything comes back to mental health and mental well-being. And when I see the percentages the government spend on, you know, mental health and the money that's pumped into hospitals, you know, you'd kind of feel like, are they happy enough that, you know, people are getting sick and needing the hospital? And why, for me, I'd imagine for a lot of people, if some of their mental health issues were dealt with, they might not end up in the hospital or feel like they have to go to any or feel like they need to go somewhere because they just don't know what's wrong with them. Um, you know, a, a very simple solution would be to just spend more on, on mental health and, you know, have facilities for kids in school and maybe not, you know, maybe maybe stop telling them that, you know, you know, if you go to school and then you go to first year and then you do your exams and then you do well and you get the points and you go to university and then you get a job and then you get married, that everything is going to work out fine once you do those, do those things. It's that lie, you know, that we keep telling people. Because at some point, you know, you get to 23, 24 in your 30s and you go, oh, my God, this is like, well, I don't like I'd actually, you know, I haven't really made a decision for myself. I'm just landed here following the advice of others and the, you know, the, the path that will lead me to happiness. And uh, it seems that I was told a lie. And then nobody wants to help them when they're struggling uh, with their choices or all that trauma they didn't deal with when they were younger, you know hits them in the face so it just seems to me that you know we need to just be just it, it is money we need to spend more money and we need to value therapists and uh, we need to have more of them and take some of that money that's going to the hospitals um, it probably wouldn't be a very popular political choice so that's probably why it doesn't happen and also um, I don't know It's it, it just seems to suit and you look at the suicide rate you look at you know the amount of people who drink and take drugs and and i would never think i, I you know i don't none of that stuff drinking drugs is not a problem you know people's mental health is the problem um and if you can deal with that you can deal with the rest i gave up drinking about four years ago and the only reason i did was because i went to therapy i didn't go anywhere to give up drink and i wouldn't have said i was a heavy drinker but i drank enough to give me you know, bad anxiety that I had to deal with. And I drank enough to be thinking a lot about drinking and, you know, whether I would drink this day or not drink that day. And, you know, I mostly drank at the weekends because I had a job and, I, you know, I knew I wouldn't do well or perform well if I was groggy. Um, but it was always like, oh, well, I better not drink today because I'm back at work tomorrow. Or, oh, I can maybe have a drink today because I only have tomorrow left. And, you know, so it's, it's just kind of a thing that I did. But once I dealt with the, the reasons I was drinking, I just stopped drinking. And I think you, that, that goes back to what you're saying about, you know, empathy and seeing other people and the separation. If you see somebody who is, standing, is sitting in a doorway and it's cold and you're sort of going, oh, sure, that'll be the drugs. You know, it's probably not, the, it's definitely not the drugs. It's whatever they, whatever they've been through in their life. And they're trying to take medication to stay alive, uh, to deal with the world. Um, and I think people need to see that more, see beyond the medication. I would happily give somebody 10 euro if it gets them their medication and they can get out of the cold. Um, I don't see a difference between somebody who has to find money to pay for heroin and somebody who goes into a doctor and gets their, whatever, their beta blockers or their, you know, Xanax or their, you know, I, I don't know what the difference is, um, but we're told 
that there's a difference. And we're told there's a difference between, you know, it's just the othering of people, isn't it? Like, well, they're different, you know, and it happens, you know, it happens. Like you think of Northern Ireland, such a small space, even just the, the island of Ireland, you know, and Great Britain, it's such a small area, but, you know, there's so many differences and so many, you're like, why, why, <laughs> how do we, why don't we get on? We're like, we're, there's so much in common, but like, is that, it's the othering. It's, it's, it, I don't want to get like the, uh, I don't want to seem like a conspiracy theorist, but you know, you have to look beyond what's happening and what's actually happening, you know, especially when it comes to war. And it's like, this can't be it. You know, nobody's like going on yet. Why is there no, why has there not been a general who's gone, look, do you know what I mean? Do you know what? We don't, we don't want you to take over a country, but we don't want to fight you. So let's come to some sort of agreement or, you know, it just doesn't, it's just like men going, like, even if you see Biden's reaction to what happened in Israel to those, those poor people who were killed by Hamas and, Instead of like seeing the reason Hamas existed, Joe Biden, who's the president of America, uh, just went to, oh, we're going to kill these terrorists, uh, wipe them out and given more money to Israel. It's just like, instead of going, all right, Israel, let's talk about this. Why did this happen? Let's try and figure that out. Can we treat Palestinians the same way we treat Israelis? And maybe then everything will be okay. You know, why is nobody having those conversations? Yeah. It's and that's all you know, and that's all mental health. That's all everything is that kind of decision is a person who needs to work on their mental health. Yeah, because and the thing is you're right, everything comes back to your mental health. Everything comes back to trauma. Right? And uh, there's so much about trauma, but we've got heard this thing lately so much like big T little T. Trauma's trauma as far as I'm concerned, because it's all relative, right? And you know, the same thing could have happened to the both of us as children and we will react to it in a very different way and we will be reflected in our lives in a very different way. But on my own personal like healing journey, I've had to deal with that trauma, which, you know, you until you go into it, you don't understand the effect and how it's manifesting itself in every aspect of your life. Mm. And like we all the time, it's so easy to run away from it. It's so easy to be so distracted now, right? Because scrolling, you know, scrolling on your phone, there's every conceivable television program or film available to you at your fingertips, you know, 24 hours a day. There's, you know, it's pornography. There's like, it's, you know what I mean? There's so much there so quickly, so fast. That means that you don't have to sit with yourself and think about why you're acting the way you are. It's the constant running away from yourself. And I think that the the trick is like, is, is actually learning that everything is an inside job. Love is an inside job. Connection is an inside job. Happiness, success is an inside job because, you know, the way that you're showing up in your life is the way that you show up in your business or at work or I think like we need and I and I've said this to people and I'm like why wouldn't you want to heal because what once you go it's when you going into your your crap is really really difficult and it's going to be really painful but once you do it and you 
you kind of you get between the you're in the parts the really sometimes it's the really hard part you know where you're like you can't go you don't want to go back but you don't know what's in front of you and it's all feeling really difficult and really uncomfortable because you're in the growth because mm. growth always comes from being really uncomfortable but we need like it's like we need to be telling more people that this this is the way out of everything is like actually to go to go back and to figure out why you are the way you are and let's stop using external things to try and fix it but the problem is that's what we've been we've been conditioned to do we've been told to do right mm. is to use everything outside of you so Maybe we can chat a bit. I know you, you've spoken a, about it before, about dealing with trauma from your childhood and stuff. But maybe like we can talk about like the importance of that that, ha- that has had now on your journey and on your path. Yeah, I mean, you often hear, and there is that narrative that, oh, sure, leave well enough alone. Stop going around, you know, digging in the past. You know, leave it in the past, the past, the past. But uh, everybody's past informs how they are in the present you know so I thought you know a certain point in my life I thought well I you know I knew I'd had a childhood that probably wasn't you know the most loving and you know certain things happened to me and I I felt that I dealt with it um but I felt I dealt with it because I was just getting on my life you know just getting on with things, that's it, dealt with now, move on, don't look back. Um, and it was only when, you know, kind of got to a point where for me in my personal life, the shit hit the fan and I thought, look, I'm, I'm going to have to go to therapy here because, you know, this could take me down, you know. Uh, it happens to a lot of men at a certain age and possibly women as well, but you you get to a certain age and maybe you lose a job or, separation or somebody dies your dad your mom or somebody close to you dies and because you because you're all you, you know you're only you're just getting on with things so you're everything's right up here and then one thing can take you down um so there's people who choose not to go back and you know I, i'd imagine there's you know maybe it works for some people for me i had to go back uh revisit my childhood recategorize everything you know so where was i putting the things that happened to me how bad were they and it was talking to a therapist and you talk about big t and little t t you know you know somebody might say oh sure we all got slapped when we were young and we all this happened sure that was just the way it was and sure didn't it isn't as you know sure aren't you grand now you know never did me any harm um you know, presenters like George Hook on the radio saying, bring back the the birch, you know, which to me is like calling for abuse of young people, you know, on, on a national radio station. Shocking, disgusting, you know. Yeah. And the fact that he can say that flippantly in a kind of a, I'm a tie great lad, oh, bring back the, the birch. And he doesn't see the iron. People like that don't see the irony of saying that being abused by an adult hasn't done them any harm yet there they are on the radio station encouraging people to abuse other young people and it's totally lost on them and they're going sure i should i got a few whacks of the stick and it never did me any harm you know other children should be beaten as well like the the irony of that you know it's almost funny that they're so on 
aware of what they're saying. They're so lost in their own, you know, whatever it is, that they can't see it. And the everybody, there's probably a lot of people in this country that suffered as children. And I'm a big, I like to speak up for, for young people because I think they don't have a voice. I think that if a nationality was treated the way children are treated sometimes. People would be rightly up in arms. But it seems to be okay to try and control children to the nth degree, to try and, you know, insist that they, you know, that they behave in a certain manner, that they, ins- you know, that we don't, if a child is misbehaving in school, it's, well, you need to book up your ideas rather than, I wonder what's going on with this kid. Why is he acting out? You know, no empathy. Just conform, you know? And I think schools, some schools are good, some schools are terrible, but they definitely need to have a look at that. The model of control, domestication of children. It's not really a great model. Um, Personally, I don't really see a reason for having children sitting in a desk for six, seven hours a day. Probably only six, maybe. I don't know. But I just don't see the sense of it. I don't see what, what are you preparing them for? You know? No, I, I agree. Did you ever see that um, shorts online somewhere, that experiment or something from years and years ago where they put all the all the fleas in the jar? It, it's a video that it, it compares this thing. They put these fleas in a jar and for ages they're trying to jump up, right? Mm. So they, because initially they're like, the lid is open or something like that. And they're trying to jump up and then they close the lid and they, they jump a little bit less, but eventually they stop. And it shows you this video and this experiment from years ago, and then it compares it. They're saying, this is the education system. So it's like, it's like stopping people. It's like, no, you know, don't ask any questions. Do as you're told, sit at this desk for, you wouldn't do it yourself now. Like no way. you couldn't sit, so sit somewhere for, for six hours like you you'd never be asked to do that like people who work in an office or even in a cubicle or whatever you can get up whenever you want most people need to get up every five or ten minutes to stretch or to move because your body is going to cramp up but when a child does that they say sit you know they're like you can't move you have to sit at that desk you must hold your pen in a certain way you must do this you must do that you know and then if they're from when they're like four, you know, and then if they can't do it, they're labeled, right? The troublemaker, the messer. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not exactly the same. I feel very blessed to where my son goes to school. They're Mm. incredible. My son has um, ASD and DCD. um, And where he goes to school, they are incredible Mm. these you know there were some of these people they're like i call them like earth angels some of the teachers they it is a vocation and they knew that and they love it and they do everything they can but i do feel very grateful and blessed because as a parent of a neurodivergent child i you know have been luckily we've been like you know in contact with other parents and there's a a gorgeous, gorgeous charity called Neurodiversity Ireland. And, you know, so we have contact with other parents and, you know, WhatsApp groups and all that kind of thing. And you're right in what you were saying a while ago. All the schools are not the same. And the amount of fighting 
mm. that these parents have to do every single day, you know, and the the pressure that the children are under to act and be a certain way. And I think it's disgraceful the amount of masking that our kids have to do. Yeah, I mean, it's I definitely struggled, you know, turned out I had ADHD and ASD. I got diagnosed later in life. But I struggled in school and was definitely, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself a troublemaker now, but I would have for a long time. I said, oh, I was just a messer in school, you know. Um, but actually, I just, I wasn't a master because was, there was definitely things that I was interested in and I loved. And I was, you know, I can remember going into transition year. Um, and I think it was the first transition year, maybe in the country, first year of it. And we did like horticulture, we did drama, we did photography. But I never missed a day and I never got in trouble. Um, and I only started getting in trouble when I went back to the desks and to not see that or to nobody for nobody to kind of go like why there isn't the option to go out and dig you know dig out the in the in the school gardens rather than sitting in a class like what do you want to do you know um their decisions and like what they're going to say if you ask children what they want to do for the day they're not going to be doing wildly different things. You know, there's only so many things you can do. So there seems to be a fear to let go of the control. And I'm not saying that this is, there's a lot of people who don't agree with phones and, and that's fine. But I just think the latest thing about the phones is a complete distraction. So you've got the Minister for Education coming out and going, look, we're banning phones from schools or whatever, you know. Fair enough. But that's not the problem. You know, that is not one of the big problems. It's a complete distraction. It's a, it's let's just throw this out there and then people will think we're doing something. No, pay the teachers more. We need bigger classrooms. We need more options. We need, like, this whole school system needs, a, like, a rethink. And what are they doing? Taking something off children. Yeah, this so the children so the children are suffering again, rather than they're getting nothing. They get nothing. The phones, you know, the phone is like medication. People scroll because they don't know what to do with how they're feeling. Like, and to take something off a child, we were very happy with the technology when in lockdown because it allowed us to work. Um, and the government weren't banning anything then because we use Zoom. A lot of kids had to use Zoom on their phones. It was very helpful. So why are they saying now the phones are bad? I am all for people finding their level with anything. Alcohol, phones, exercise, food. But taking things away from people for during lockdown and for a lot of children who are neurodivergent, their phone can be, a lot of their life can be on their phone. Their contact to the outside world, the contact with friends, their contact with friends online. They might not have friends in their town or in their school, but they've got a bunch of friends online that they talk to and they, they game with. You know, to start targeting children's things, to me, is, it's kind of, it's dark. Um, so rather than the government taking upon themselves to have a proper look at the schooling system, and seeing where they can do better, they're making the decision to ban phones in school. Absolutely. I don't, I really don't know why. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's like, all right, 
ban record players, ban Walkmans, ban Slitters, Hurls, ban... Oh, well, with a sit and hurl, you get a runner. Well, actually, you know, people on their phone, you know, they work their brain. My son likes has a phone. He has an Xbox. He plays a lot of football. He, you know, likes hanging out with his friends. He seems to have a good balanced life. I would never in a million years think of taking his phone off. Would somebody, if somebody came into my, you know, if they said we're banning phones in, in work, we treat children completely different to how we would treat ourselves. And we see, we think that we, we should be able to do that because we know what's best. Well, do you? Because you seem a bit weird to me. And I don't think what you think is, do you know what I mean? It's like the arrogance of it, you know? What do you think as a parent, you know, what should we be doing? What can we do to help our kids to see that there isn't only one way forward, you know, and that we're that one size, you know, they're trying, everybody's kind of tried to be put into this box and one size fits all. Mm. But I guess. What, what can we do? What can we do? But then, okay, I suppose like everything, you know, if you start with yourself, like what's the importance of healing, going on that journey as a parent? You know, what do you think that, what do you think the importance of that is in terms of then it rippling onto your kids? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, obviously, I was very aware from from a young age that, and I always said to myself, I will never hit a child. I will never physically abuse a child. You know, that was something that was in my head. You know, I looked forward to having children so that I wouldn't do that. But I still had stuff. I still had some weird ideas about the world, I suppose, you know, and discipline maybe. You know, I even look back now at using something like the ball step or you know, time out or, you know, it's like, I feel uncomfortable that I did those things, you know? And I was thinking, well, I'm progressive, you know, which, you know, look, it's, you got it, you know, it's got to be some sort of, it's just the, the idea of discipline and domestication. You know, I, I just, now I'm like, I don't think that's the right thing to do at all. I think conversation, why is your child acting out? Why are they doing what they're doing? Because you're too busy. I'm too busy. I've been too busy to notice that they want to do something and they've had to do something, you know, kind of mad to get some sort of reaction. Um, like nowadays I would, I'm very open with my children. I, my son is 15. You know, I often say to him, look, he says, I don't want to go into school tomorrow. So we're 15 now it's your choice. And I hope I trust him to make the right decision whenever it's not like a, well, it's up to you now, but I'd be disappointed. It's not a guilt thing. It's like, honestly, and he has. He'd say, well, I'm not going in tomorrow. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'd say to him, look, will you try and go in the rest of the week? And I, I think that's... And he'd say, okay, that's fair. It's not like, what do you mean you only go to school? You have to go to school. You know, it's like a conversation. Where are you at? Where's the child at? What are they... How are they feeling? How can we make it better? Why do we constantly feel like we have to make school's life better before our children, you know? Um, so, you know, there's lots of examples... Um, I remember during COVID, my daughter's school wanted them to come back in and they hadn't sat in a gym scenario to do an exam. I don't think that group had ever done it, maybe for the junior sir. And they were going to bring them back in because COVID, there was a sort of a window of opportunity and they're going to bring them all in and get them to sit the mocks. And I remember like thinking, so these kids have been sitting at home 
doing class and there's and you're going to bring them all into one big room and I'll sit down and sit in the exam which if if there's another lockdown there'll be no leave insert so everybody knows that then this becomes the leave insert this mocks becomes the most important exam in their life in the parents heads because they're like well you better do well in this because the leave insert might not happen they might use these results blah 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 and the school were just insistent and I just couldn't I was like well my daughter won't be doing it and I'll be making a complaint. And I can remember ringing the school and all that. This is the most bonkers idea. If you, if you're, if you are serious about mental health, um, do not do this to, to these children. And lip service is all very well when it comes to mental health, but ultimately everything gets sacrificed for the points race. So no, like we, oh, we're, we really care about mental health and, and the well-being of our students, but you know, if you're not fitting into this whole points race, sitting down, doing exams, learning things off so you can, you know, regurgitate them on a given day, then, you know, you're you're sort of lazy or, you know, you're, you know, you see it. You see the front page just the next day and it's the, the kids who got nine A's and eight A's. And I think that's absolutely brilliant for someone to do that because that's their, that's in their, that's where they're at. That's what they're good at. But those children have their own sufferings and like you know don't put them on a pedestal either you know let them be who they are if they're getting seven a's eight a's brilliant but where's the kid who's you know managed his you know his upbringing to the point where he's managed to go into school every day and he's playing football or you know you can't everybody's achievements are very personal um, and I think we just, you know, I suppose how I feel, like a lot of the time now, say with my son, it was, I, I found it difficult with my son, you know, when, when he was young. And it, it was only when I went to therapy and he was saying, well, that's because you're, when he got to a certain age, you were thinking of yourself and how you had been treated. And, you know, there was a difficulty there and I couldn't put my finger on I didn't know why I I had a, an issue with you know the closeness I should have had and I was so glad that I, I did that and I did the work as people call it because there's definitely a sort of a I, I have an awkwardness around my son but I know what it is now so I try and you know I override it um and I do things that I wish people had done to me or, you know, I wish, I, you know, it's the hugs and the, I don't think he's too old for a hug or a kiss in the head or, you know, and that's important. And you know, I know it's important to him, you know. He doesn't react the same way now, you know, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't reject it either. So I think as a parent, if anybody listened to this is struggling with their children, I would say go and do your work first. Stop thinking about what the child can do differently and how they can behave differently because all you're doing is asking them to regulate themselves so that you can, you know, you can live within your, you know, you can live with your issues. If they're doing, if, if, if only they'd behave a different way, then I wouldn't get stressed and I would be happier. So you just, you know, they need to do this, do that, do the, uh, well, actually, if you go and do the work, which, you know, took me a while to realize, once you go and do the work, they don't seem to have as many problems. 
they sleep fine, you know. But we project and we want them to regulate themselves so we feel we feel better, you know. So I would say for any parents struggling with their kids, you know, do do some therapy and see 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 how it see how it ends up, see if things improve, you know. I a hundred percent agree with you. Having done the work, as we say, um, and still doing it because I it's a it's a lifelong thing. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's no quick fix, you know, and um, I don't know if you ever find this, but things you think you've dealt with or that you've worked on kind of rear their ugly head again. And you're like, oh, need to go back and do a bit more on this. God, you know, and sometimes you're like, oh, I really thought like I'd got to the bottom of this. But it, like kids and any of your close relationships are the biggest mirror. Totally, yeah. And Maybe there are people you need to cut out of your life, you know. Maybe you shouldn't be making your child uh, be friends with, you know, a granny or an auntie or, you know. So what? So we, a lot of the time we put this learned life ahead of the happiness of our children because we'll, we'll do things that we think are the right thing to do, you know. But the right thing to do is make sure that you're, you feel good, you feel happy and you're safe. And you're not hanging out with toxic people and then be the best you can be for your child. And it's not to control them. It's just to be there for them and let them know you're just an anchor. Let them go off and do what they need to do and know that your child will go and do what they need to do once they know they can come back and you'll always be there. And maybe they'll go away for a year or two years, but it's this, you're, this, you're the thing that's allowing them to do that. You know? Yeah, and... I think doing the work and letting them see it, even if it doesn't seem like they're taking any of it in or they think that like you've you're like, oh, there she is again, gone off to breathe, you know, or whatever it mm. is that you're doing, you know, um, but may it's later, you know, it'll be on reflection. Th- there'll be things, you know, y- you think that it's all a load of it's like just going over their head and then they might say one thing and you're like, OK, they're. It's, it's going in. So, you know, it's still the brain is growing like and that patterning, the part where we take all that in until you're 25. So I worried a lot. And I remember when I started going deep into doing the work on myself, I had that kind of guilt and shame of the type of parent that I was before. Mm. I don't anymore because I, you know, I realized that. I worked with the tools that I had at the time, you know, that were in my arsenal at the time. And that's, you know, that's all I could do. But that now being able to take responsibility for your actions, being able to say to your kids, yes, I did do that. And that was wrong because and, you know, showing showing up, showing mm. up for yourself, number one. And then you're you're automatically showing up for them when you show up for yourself. And it's it's really hard. And, you know, you can. You could spend ages being lost in the whole guilt of the way that you used to be. But I kind of look at it now as I look back at that person and I'm like, you know, give her a hug and say, it's okay. You did, you did, you know, you did the best you could at the time and now you're doing better, you know? And I think um, I heard Dr. Um, Edith Eager 
say she's that she's a Holocaust survivor. She's like 96 now and she's she's still giving courses and talks and and, and speeches and stuff. And the thing she's asking, you know, are you revolving or evolving? Like, are you constantly stuck in this pattern of playing the same things over and over again? Or are you saying I can't change what was I can't change what happened to me? I can't change anything that I said that I did, but I can change my life now from mm. now. And like, really, all we have, I suppose, is the present moment. I mean, that's all you're guaranteed anyway. So there's no point in like looking back and bringing that guilt. It's like, OK, that happened. And I'm sorry for that. You know, I'm working to improve on that. And it's like, but now this is how I am. Like, and it's it's about how you are now and the way that you are going forward. And I think if they they witness that and they see that and like, I think you're doing a really good service to your kids by by admitting that you weren't always right, that what you said before and that it's okay to change your mind. That it's okay for me to feel one way about anything, a political stance, uh, the way I felt about COVID in the beginning versus the way on reflection and who I am now and how I feel about it now and things that are still going on from that. That's okay. Because aren't we, we've we've always like been told, it was like, you know, it's that whole thing. You made your bed, so you must lie in it. Mm -hmm. You said that, so therefore that's how you must always feel. It's like everything's like, oh, you chose that career, so you must stay in it. Mm-hmm. All those, all these, all these rules, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, you, why not change your mind from one day to the next? Why not decide you don't like a job? Why not? You know, you have reasons, you have valid reasons, and people try to treat people try to invalidate them because it makes them feel uncomfortable, and, and because if you're not, you know, following the path and playing the game. You're, you're ruining it for everybody else. What do you think is the biggest block for people, right? You know, that's holding them back from actually pursuing a life of fulfillment, of, of purpose. Why other can't people. why can't we other do people. other people? It's other people, yeah. It's their peers. That's all we that's you know, I mean from my experience, it's what people will think, you know. Um, and that's why we have to make sure that we're not judgmental and we have empathy because people worry about what we, what they'll think if you suddenly start going to therapy or you suddenly stop going to the pub on a Friday and start going for hikes and who's your man think he is, you know, and we, we, we say that to ourselves. Who do you think you are? You know, long after our parents and our teachers are, you know, in charge of the rules, uh, we, we have those voices in our own head that we, we we put ourselves in the box then. And it's not, you know, it's totally understandable because that's what we were, it was drilled into us, you know. And especially that thing of, you know, who do you think you are, you know. We start saying it to ourselves. Who do I think I am to think I, you know, I think I could do that thing that's been in my head for about, you know, since I can remember that I'd really like to do. But I'm still saying, who do I think I am to want to do that or to think I could do that? doesn't mean you're going to, you know, what, what is success then? It's just doing it, you know. Uh, it's finding a way to do something you've always wanted to do. Almost like to spite everybody in the world and to do something for yourself. And that comes back to self-care. And that's where 
that's why people go to therapy because they decide that they love themselves and you know and they and they deserve better so they give themselves better and that kind of language even is there'll be people scoffing at that kind of language but that's the truth so it's 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 a it comes back to the you know this domestication and control and uh, you know know your place and um, you know the class system there's lots of reasons you know and I think if people were able to see that, um, that those are the reasons why they mostly feel sad and, you know, they feel good two days of the week and not great five days of the week and don't particularly like their job and, you know, aren't aren't really sure why they're in the relationship they're in or whatever, you know. Um, you know, you only get one chance at it. But if you don't respect yourself and your boundaries and the things you need, you know, it's going to be a you, the the church would always talk about heaven, you know, and that's why people were happy to kind of just get by because their reward would be in heaven, and they'd go to mass and say their prayers. You know, it's a trick because heaven is here. You know, heaven is after you do the work. You know, it's that's that's what it is. You know, it's not anywhere else. It's just, it's just figuring a few things out, and that's what. That's initially what people were talking about before the church changed it to suit a narrative. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's other people. That's the biggest block. And, and it's, hard for, it's hard for everyone to get past that. It's so very hard. And from someone who I can honestly say that I've gone from self-loathing mm. to self-loving, it's the hardest journey. But it's one that you don't, you're doing it, you know, and you're going through the motions and you're going to therapy. I adore my therapist who I go to for talk therapy. And then I also spent 12 months with a somatic therapist because what I've learned is that trauma is, it's embodied. It's, um, it's in us. It's, you know, it's, it's, it sticks there. It's like, mm. you know, so for me, it was talking about it and then finding a way to release it. It's like yeah. when we, we cry, hold, we, it's a release, you know, yeah, we, and, yeah. physical. Yeah. And, and trauma is, and that's something as well that we, well, I certainly was not aware of at all that it was actually physically stuck. Parts of it were stuck. And it's by correcting. So what like the somatic therapy is, it's about correcting your nervous system. And you spoke about that at the start, you know, and it's the vagus, you know, your nervous system and it's created from the vagus nerve. And that nerve runs through your whole body. It's mm -hmm. connected to everything and, and especially like your digestive system and it's connected to everything. And when when you're in a constant stress or, you know, was this like it's fight or flight. Um, people might know that, but that's like chronic stress. When your body's in that, like that stuff starts to shut down. So people, when they're stressed, they can't eat. They can't sleep. They can't. Mm. And I went through through that and I just it, I had to get to a point for me where it's like, I just can't I can't continue like this. But I think like it's, it's looking back now and after doing that heap of the work, you, you realize that you were actually living in that chronic stress 
for years. Mm. And so correcting that has been incredible because for me, I'm like, I'm so much calmer. (laughs) You're so much more able to deal with things that are thrown at you just because I think there's this kind of um, idea that when you do the work, then you get to this kind of, it's like getting to the heaven or whatever, you know, that there, there's this destination that you'll get and you'll never feel out of kilter again, which isn't again, true. Yeah. Is What mm. it is, is that when you do the work, yes, you're like, you're able to feel that like joy exists right now in this moment and happiness exists from within me in this moment. But it's not to say that you, you'll, you'll never feel down again. It's what you actually can do is that you're able to sit with that. You're able to deal with it. You're able to say to yourself, yeah, you know what? Today I'm not feeling so great, but that's okay because I know the storm will pass. Mm. It doesn't completely over overwhelm you so much. It's the awareness that you gain mm. when you actually do this. That's it. Just awareness, you know. That's all. Like everything just comes back to just being aware, you know. Yeah. And and it goes back to what you were saying at the start. We're so busy. But that's it. So you you stop running away from yourself. You learn just that's, to be, right? Just to be, yeah. Because that's all you are. It's like, it's this present moment. And Eckhart Tolle says it. And it, it's just so very simple. He's like, what's, what's, what's the problem? People are like, oh my God, I won't be able to, you know, pay this bill or the mortgage next month. It's like, well, hang on. What's your, what's the problem right now? in this very moment. And I often mm. use that when I'm feeling a bit in my head and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And this is going on and this is going on. This is going on. It's like, oh, hang on a second, right? And it's like, in this very moment, what's the problem? And you'll probably often find that there is no problem in that very moment. And it's like, mm. okay. And once you're in that, you're like, okay, then, you know, it's easier to find the solution to the problem when you're, yeah, when you're sent. Just like, mm. Yeah, you're just like, well, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just presence and being aware. It's awareness and presence, and you know, all those things. Um, and you know, not words like success. For me, that's it. I don't really, you know, if we go back to the start, a final, my final word would be, you know, stop success. Like reframe success. Reframe your the things you've been told, you know, university points, jobs, reframe all that and have different successes, like how much you look after yourself and how you invest in yourself. And it's not, and, and selfish, get, the word selfish gets a bad rap, you know, be, be selfish. You'll have to come back because there was so much more that I wanted to talk to you about. We'll come back. We'll come back. You'll have to come back. But, Actually, earlier on, I better, I better ask these. I said earlier on, um, I went on Instagram. It's like my first time ever putting oh. a little a little box. I was like, oh, this is this is all new and interesting. Okay, so there was a couple of questions I asked people, you know, um, if they had any questions for you. Well, so you better ask couple, these. So I better ask. Yeah. So, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Mm, this is kind of a. I think I would have had a real good answer for that years ago. Um, the best advice I've ever been given. I mean, I think 
it's not advice, but it was my uh, my therapist who brought who made me aware of the whole idea of being vulnerable. That was just a, you know, he he thrown it in a couple of times about vulnerability and blah blah blah. And I didn't kind of you know it didn't didn't mean anything to me, but you know, it was one day he said something and it just kind of clicked, and I was like, oh right, so that's what you mean, like being basically stop masking and tell people and be more honest about how you are, and where you're at, and you know, what you like, what you don't like, speak to your wife, honestly, you know, don't pretend that everything's fine all the time. I think vulnerability, I think for anybody looking, listening to this and wondering about advice or where do I go or how could look into, I think it's Brené Brown. Is that, is that mm-hmm. her name? Um, there's lots of books on vulnerability and the power of it because once you stop masking, you just find your true authentic voice. And authenticity is powerful. You start just being, um, and you become aware and that's all that all comes back to allowing yourself to be vulnerable so that's that's a word vulnerability i agree <laughs> because <laughs> you know what because i formal people pleaser or you know recovering mm. people pleaser whatever you yeah. want to call it yeah that i find now when you're like oh i don't know and it, it comes in you know when like what you were talking about earlier on is was is imposter syndrome you know who am i to you know, and I've absolutely lost my train of thought there. That's okay. You're, you're being vulnerable. You're being vulnerable. Oh my God. You see, you allowed yourself to be honest there, to stop and go, I don't know where I was going with that. And that's. Oh, that's, oh, oh I'm like, it's that authenticity. Because yeah. we're supposed, yeah, but we're supposed to know everything. We're supposed exactly. to be perfect all the time, you know? Exactly. But. It was, oh, I must do something in a certain way. And, you know, on who am I to be doing this or whatever? And actually, the biggest thing that has come out of just being your authentic self, and I actually think before I went on this journey that I'm on or whatever, you know, all these words seem to be so overused now, but I didn't know who I was. Mm. I I actually, I was so consumed by being everything for everyone else and kind of just trying to be liked jesus like yeah. just trying to be liked by every single person yeah i'm worried that someone mightn't like you yeah and like and so offended you know yeah. so Ridiculous. offended you'd be like how could why wouldn't everybody Why? just like me? I this must is... make this right. You know? Yeah. And you're like, what did I do? How can I, how can I change their opinion of me? You know, ch- you know to the detriment of the people who actually love me, I'm going to spend all my time trying to make this person who doesn't, you know, get my vibe. I'm going to make <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, insane. I know. Isn't it, it, isn't it just, you know, but like, like I spent so much time like that, that I didn't know anything about myself. Mm. It was almost like, People be like, oh, what's your favorite book? And you'd be like, I wonder what's the best thing to say. Mm. What's your favorite movie? What sounds intelligent, but also not too kind of stuck up? Yeah, up yourself. What, yeah. yeah, you know, like oh, when I look at it, it's like ridiculous, but like that's just, <laughs> just it. But now I find having the biggest connection with people is when I'm just me and having learned that like what I like is what I like mm. and it doesn't matter <laughs> you know Some, someone it doesn't really, like you that's cool yeah. it doesn't matter because it's it's my the only person living my life is me mm. 
you know what I mean? And I shouldn't be living my life for you or for anyone. You know what I mean? For You shouldn't be living your life for anybody else. No. Because you've read the book, um, The Five Regrets of the Dying. And the biggest regret that people have is that they didn't do more things that they wanted to do, mm. that they liked. That they didn't, themselves, do, like, didn't do more for themselves. They didn't do more for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? You know? Mad. It's mad. I know. Okay. What's, Give me the next hard question. Oh. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? Um, I suppose just that you're 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 always learning and uh you you don't everything's a lesson, you know. Um something negative happened, something positive happened, there's a lesson in it. Um lessons are everywhere. And and knowing that and seeing that, you know, that makes a big difference. Just as you say, you're just constantly learning and like don't settle. Don't settle for a relationship. Don't settle for a job. Don't settle for no, no that doesn't mean that everybody's gonna, you know, be a famous writer. Um you've got to find space. You know, work life balance, it's a People think it's all oh, do stuff at the weekend you like. No, it's about being yourself as much as you can in your work, the type of work you do, how you behave in work. Make sure you're not masking when you go into work. That'll kill you. Um, just, yeah, just, um, I just think don't settle and keep pushing. Keep pushing to the end, you know, yeah. go on. You're worth it, as they say. Well, if you don't love yourself. Well, no, the people aren't, you know what I mean? No. And I, I always think, you know, I know the question was for you, but I, I know uh, <laughs> the person hasn't asked for my opinion, <laughs> but I'm going to give it to. No, there, but I agree that there's there's lessons in every single thing. And to remember that, they don't always show themselves straight away. Like how often do you go, oh God, it could be months or years down the road and you say, oh my God, if that thing didn't happen, that, that door didn't close for me that time, I never would have been here. Mm. And it's to remember that, like there's, there's some really, you know, we all go through some really hard stuff, you know, like in this life, like I think pain is, it's inevitable. Right. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't avoid it. That's it's inevitable. But the suffering is a choice. Mm. The amount of suffering. That's a choice, you know, and I'm not saying it in the way that like we have to make this toxic positivity kind of thing. It's not about, you know, turn that frown upside down. It's not. It's not. It's not about that. But it is that like knowing that we are going to face hard things in this life. But what you do with it is up to you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, I, I always feel privileged as well, you know, um, for any of my difficulties or trauma, you know, it's, and, you know, there are people that are so far gone traumatized wise that there just isn't the help for them there that they might never get, you know, the chance to kind of, to, to, 
to see anything in any other way than they see it, you know. But before I before I bring it, before I bring the whole thing down. Oh God, yeah. Because I think this is probably something that is actually really lovely to finish with. So the question was, how did Keith come to find his purpose? And what does he think that purpose means? Oh Jesus, I haven't found my purpose. Um having a purpose. I just think it's just to do, do right by yourself and do make sure you're doing the thing and trying different th- you know just doing what's right for you um and if people around you that love you and support you and can't allow you to do that then that's a them problem you know that's for them to get used to 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 figure out you can't regulate everybody you can't serve everybody's needs obviously you need to you know but a lot of the purpose actually one of the big things I learned was like and not in a sort of a wanky way but like it's actually to other people you know you're there to 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 serve other people you know to do things for other people to be as much as the set you know you've got to do you've got to be aware and do that also like seeing the plight of other people seeing the suffering of other people not othering other people so it makes you comfortable so you're able to say ah yeah but they're x y and z ah yeah but he's x y and no these are people and they're suffering. Same as you, same as me. And to try and see beyond the drink, the guy in the doorway has to, t- you know, it's just, it just, it comes back to awareness. The purpose is just to be generous, you know, be generous with your time, be generous to other people, uh, do what you can, you know, and no one's expecting it to be perfect or great or for you to be a perfect person. It's just, awareness of other people and what they might be going through and that's i think the purpose i think that's the purpose people are like you know people love uh there's not like you know you're not going to fall in love with your car and it's not going to keep you warm at night so it's literally other people and as you will go right back to what you said it's it's we're all the same you know we're all it's all energy you know so you know if you know if you, i always think of the town of newbridge if everybody just started you know five people started being nicer then five other people or 10 other people would feel better. And suddenly you've just got like a happy time, you know, and that's how energy works. So that's what I like to do. I don't try and make other people be happier or be nicer. I just try and I do what I can do. And if everybody did what they could do, stop worrying about what other people aren't doing. I think that's, that's it. That's your purpose. That's gorgeous. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I could chat to you all night. I think my fire's gone out, Keith. Oh, Jesus. Another <laughs> I think time. My fire's gone out. Another time um, we do an all nighter. Um, where can, where are you? Like on Instagram or what's happening? Like, have you got I'm, something? I'm, out, I'm in the ether. I'm out there. Um, where do we, where do people find you? Yeah, I, I'm on Instagram. That's it. I'm not really, uh, I do, I have developed some courses, podcasting courses. Um, I do bits and pieces. I talk, do a little bit of ADHD. There's nothing really. I don't have a show to sell. Um, but, you know, follow me on Instagram and maybe you'll, you know, take something from that. Um, I don't need you to buy anything from me. Not right now. I'll be back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much, Keith. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you so much for being here. 
Well, that was such a gorgeous conversation. And as we said, we could have talked about so much more and we will because Keith will definitely be back. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Here are some of the main insights from today's episode with Keith. Be the best you can be for your child. And it's not to control them. It's just to be there for them. Let them know you're just an anchor for them. There is a lesson in everything. Don't settle for situations that don't align with your true self. There's great power in being vulnerable. Heaven isn't somewhere you get to after this life. It's a trick because heaven is here. Heaven is after you do the work. You can connect with Keith on Instagram at KeithWalsh underscore Walsh. And that's where you will get all the info about his upcoming podcasting courses and projects. And if you enjoy today's episode, please share it with someone. Message them, email them or text them the link. Please share it on your social media and tag us at True Intention Podcast. Follow, subscribe and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen because it really does help so, so much. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. I will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.